Welcome, everybody, to a Recovery Machine. My name's Nathan, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Corey. How are you doing, Corey? Very good, Nathan. How are you? I'm well. We've got a special guest in today from down in California. His name is Jared Callahan, and uh, he's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, some of his film projects he's been involved in. How are you doing, Jared? I'm doing well. It's good to be with you all. Thank you. You're in, is it Palo Alto? Uh, yeah, we moved. Palo Alto. Well, it's Palo Alto, which is just Silicon Valley. Uh, it's where okay. all the tech from the world is. But we now run a farm south of Oakland, so across the bay. Okay. That sounds nice. <laughs> it's, it's pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jared, I've got a, a, just a few little um, bullet point facts about you just to give a little bit of a background on who you are. And then I want to... Um, highlight a little bit about the film that you made that we that we've watched and then the film within the film and we'll kind of go from there but we want to provide a little bit of context to our listeners um who may not have seen it but we encourage everyone to go out and and, and watch your film after this so jared callahan you are a pastor and mentor at the possibility project which is an intentional communal living project in in california you're the founder and creative director of people people media company you have a master's in spiritual formation mm-hmm. and a master's of divinity. You're from California, ended up down in, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. You were a filmmaker in residence at the Atlanta Film Society. Is that still still true? Uh, I was. It's a three-year shift. Yeah. Okay. You've uh, worked on a couple of projects, film projects that were featured in the Sundance Film Festival. Um, I'm sure our listeners have are familiar with that and uh, filmmaker of your own films. Um, Janie makes a play, which is next on my to view list. And, uh, and now of course, clean slate, which is the documentary that we're going to talk about today. And for our listeners, uh, clean slate is an exploration of two men's journey through early recovery and sustained continued recovery in uh, the state of Georgia while they are um, residing in a, in a recovery facility, a faith-based 12 step ministry program. The film highlights two individuals, Cassidy and Josh, as they're on their own journey on making a film. So you are following them as they are making a short film about, well, as it, as it is called, On the Fence. And it explores the sort of the inner turmoil of early recovery, of family conflict, of facing sort of personal pain and, and torment. As Cassidy and Josh, the filmmakers, are certainly facing their own pain and, and, and torment. Mm-hmm. And... Your film, Clean Slate, highlights some relapses, some slips being removed from facilities as they are working on this project, coming back into the project for Cassidy, and then ultimately getting the footing and and diving into the creative process of making On the Fence, getting it released. We learn then that Josh relapsed after the release, or just prior to the release, I I should say, of, of On the Fence. And so it is very much about the creative journey as a benefit in recovery, and then the some of the nuances of what it means to face our pain, face our anguish, face what's what's hurting us, and the reasons that we got there. And it's so much more. And I wanted to, you know, Nathan and I were were discussing your your project before you came on here. And I've had to I had to go away from that movie for a couple of days and really think about what I saw. And for both Nathan and myself, it was not an easy watch. And it was not necessarily like a black and white concrete, here's what we think about it, watch. And my feelings about the documentary have changed a bit over, over the last few days. And I think they will probably continue to change. And I'm sure you'll, you're going to teach us a few things about some of the, the subtleties. And I want to commend you off the bat for making, as I've gone away from it, a very nuanced, subtle film. A more subtle film than I initially realized it was as I was watching it. Hmm. So I guess my first question to you is, is my description there reasonably accurate? Or is there anything that you want to add both to your own resume, as I stated it, or or the film itself? Wow, thanks so much. That, that was great. The only update is just uh, we've combined a couple of those things. So my my film company has become a nonprofit foundation where now we have a 95-acre farm which you would think that if you know the Bay Area and San Francisco, uh, even the people here don't know that there would be a farmland available so close yeah. to the city. <laughs> but we invite artists uh, and young and up and coming artists and diverse artists to come make art on the farm. So they stay, 
They get farm chores. They care for the animals. We have goats and sheep and chickens. They can walk in the creek, but then they have each other to encourage, but um, more often critique each other's work and make it better. So we make a lot of movies here and have a lot of people come through to make all kinds of art, but uh, specifically movies are made here on our farm. So it's called Heirloom East Bay, and it's uh, like 18 minutes from the Oakland airport. It's, it's so close to so many things, and yet it feels like it's in the middle of nowhere. So wow. that's where my office is now, and that's where uh, much of my life is spent is making things here. So no, you nailed it. That's that's what we're doing. Clean Slate is a lot. And I'm so glad that you picked up on it or that it stayed with you. I feel like one of the, the greatest insults when you make art, especially a film, is we can spend years on these things. People watch a film and then go, oh, well, that was okay. What do you want to do for dinner? And it's yeah. like, we fail. That's not the point. So there's different ways to make documentaries. And there are movies that are meant to be a spoonful of medicine where you are learning stats and facts and see people in white coats explain things to you, but that's not the film that I wanted this to be. I was hoping, and I came to it, I can tell you through meeting Cassidy, I just wanted to learn myself about a world that uh, is so deep and so wide uh, that I could never understand all of it, even if you spent your entire life in it. <laughs> so I just wanted to drill down deep into uh, the mental state, the psyches, and the road of recovery of these two gentlemen. So Josh and Cassidy, I, I was speaking at the Atlanta Film Festival with a feature film, Janie Makes a Play. And I did a Q&A and then was on a probably documentary 101, how to make a movie panel. And afterwards, two guys came up to me to pitch me a movie idea, which that never goes well. <laughs> That's always a, I'm booked, thanks. Um, but one of them was Cassidy and I went out to a coffee with him and I ended up taking two and a half hours and I heard his life story and that guy just had it in him. He had the fight, he had humility, he had a desire to use art for he health and healing. I think that becomes a major component of this that mm -hmm. as we've shown the test footage and the movie, as we, we finalized it to different recovery groups and people in recovery, the overwhelming response was A, we feel seen in a way that many Hollywoodization of movies skips over or makes things uh, not real. So we feel seen, but then also, my gosh, so many people have then shared poetry, short stories, song lyrics, paintings, yeah, like the way that creativity creativity can be a, a key component in the process of healing or a tool in your tool belt uh, as you aim to get healthy and, and stay sober um, is just, it was overwhelming. It was amazing. So I, I, I got to know Cassie. He was great. They invited me to come out and see their center. And again, I thought I was going to go for an hour and six and a half hours later, I got the whole tour. And I saw, I met <laughs> so many guys in the facility and the work that they were doing and it was just so so much it's a whole subculture in a world unto itself and so I started mentoring those guys to make movies so a year later uh the idea for their short film kind of came into existence and then I realized there was nothing in me that couldn't just film them trying to film it and that's mm -hmm. where the movie began so yes it goes ups and downs and ups and downs the process of it has been a lot but it's kind of what drew me to it in the first place was both the personhood of Josh and Cassidy but then the absolutely unique world of recovery that's mandatory to be there. And that's a, a unique sliver that has many opinions about what it is and how it does and if it's effective at all, and if so, how and why. But wow, that's a world where some of the guys didn't want to be there at all. They were court mandated. They could go serve 10 years in prison or serve the 18 months. And then other people were trying to get sober and trying to get healthy and have mm -hmm. a balanced life. So that it's in and of itself was like, that's a, as Josh says, there's a reason people uh, in recovery don't make films because it's impossible. And that <laughs> turned out to be semi-true. Yeah. 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 While you, uh, you just beautifully answered uh, our first question there. I wonder though, uh, how long did it take before you made the decision yourself to, uh, to get involved on that level? Like you, you saw that they were interested in making films. Uh, and I'm guessing you spent, I think you told me before you yeah. spent a couple months down there mm -hmm. and decided that there was, something to be there was more to be seen more to be uh kind of cultivated there yeah the the world of recovery one of the things that revealed itself to me is just how how people are not bullshitting each other they can obviously you can anywhere but there's something by being in the room that just states something went off the rails like it's not as you intended <laughs> and just having that be kind of played for you by being somewhere can lead to incredible genuine relationship. At mm -hmm. least it sets it up because uh, they they laugh so hard 
But then also they would just cry so hard. And I asked Josh one time, he said, well, if we don't laugh every day, then we'd cry every day. So it's kind of like two sides on the same coin. It was just like the emotions were heightened in every way. And so it meant for a really funny, really close, really serious, really honest group. And I think that as someone who's very much outside of that world or as a documentary filmmaker, often I enter places holding a camera and then being a fly on the wall or trying to dissolve into the atmosphere. And that was a place where they drew it out of you. They would turn and reference us, me and the cameraman, and they would just talk to us, which made for the opportunity to be, <laughs> you could choose to get it in or out at that point. It's like, well, I'll be yeah. honest too then. Like, uh, yeah. okay. And that ended up making four relationships that um, created the fodder for a really good documentary. I mean, it's so much of making a film is trust. And it's not that uh, I need to agree with the people I'm filming. Often I, the opposite. I go try and film people that are a different gender or religion or age or sexuality than, than myself and express themselves differently in the world so I can learn about the world and how they see the world. And in this place, I did. I learned a lot and I was quiet often and would answer questions with asked, but it was a great place to go and, and try and observe, but then get sucked into the inevitable relationships and honesty that they live there. Hmm. Almost considered providence in a way, I suppose, with this one. Yeah. I mean, well, that's what makes it. That's what when, we do a lot of a research for movies sometimes and we test out movies and that's when, you know, that you discern that it shouldn't exist and that's okay. It's kind of like dating in a relationship, right? The goal of every dating relationship isn't to get married. It's to discern whether the relationship should continue. And sometimes a relationship ending is the right move for one or both parties. And yep. I feel that way too about coming up with a film idea is, is you're, you're dating, you're discerning. And this was one, like some don't continue. This is one that just continued to take the next step and prove that it was the next right thing to pursue. So. Huh. Very interesting. Uh, we've talked on our show about how non-linear recovery can be. You know, how how a part of it is about accepting the bumps in the road and accepting that it's not necessarily A to B and being okay with that and then being and then learning from it and picking yourself up and and hopefully figuring yourself out a little bit more. And in in Clean Slate, it's clear that that both Cassidy and Josh are works in progress it's safe to say that they're that there are some moments where they are really struggling with their mental health with urges and cravings with staying on track where they don't stay on track where there's they're just on the edge of of conflict or on the edge of of crises even you could say yeah and and so then what came to mind for me was this the title of your film clean slate and I'm interested in in hearing your your thoughts on that. A clean slate is, to me, evokes the desire for a fresh start, for a new beginning to be sort of all of the all of the wrongdoings or all of the pain to be washed away, and you start this new life. Well, recovery is much more complicated than that. But I I saw that desire in particularly in in Cassidy in the film that he was going to bust his ass to try to get a job and get his car working and get all these things in his life organized and, and make this on the fence film by hook or by crook, no matter what. And like that, that would be kind of his, his fresh start or the, the step one of this new path for him. And so in, in titling the film clean slate, I guess, what does it, what does that mean for you? And is it highlighting sort of the challenges of that being your, the goal for individuals? Yeah, you nailed it on for, for them. I feel like there's a real element of hope and you could see it come and go. You were right to say it, recovery is nonlinear. And in so much of an American for us, especially culture that is so productivity, achiever, consumer driven, right? Which so you, what do you bring and, and, and what are you building? And that is this very much I'm going to literally climb a ladder, right? And that mm -hmm. is not how recovery works at all. So for these guys... And I wish I could have known that before getting punched in the face by it, uh, by having the recovery <laughs> go sideways on me, you know, multiple times. I was just a, a new friend, let alone a family member, which gave me some some grace and some humil humility as we started engaging their family members in the film and then in post since. Clean Slate for that is what I realized is especially for Cassidy is that he has to have a hope that today will be different. And the ability to bring his whole self today to his health. And if he didn't, 
then that's when slips would happen or that's when he would be vulnerable or that's when he would start cutting himself off from relationships that could be constructive or it's a web, right? It's not one thing that keeps you healthy. It's a, a number of touch points that if at any time you start to trim one or two other people, a mentor, right? Or a community, like other places will hook you and be like, no, 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 no. We got you. Like we're staying with you, like a, an accountability. And I could see that in the, in them in different ways. And I learned them over time. Josh says at one point he's shaving and he says, some people get sober the first time, like my grandpa, but me, it's, uh, this is my 13th or 14th time. And that's got questions about what are you doing in a, in a recovery facilities that you could do at 13 or 14 times yeah. slip and not come to a solution that's prolonging those patterns of health or helping you get tools that work better for you. But it was not, he had not been in this one that long. And it's a system. He was stuck in a system that this is the way to do it. Follow the thing. And by the end of filming him, he was over it. He did not want to be there. He just, he says that, I think he says, I just want to have a regular life, a regular job. He wanted to find a relationship. You can't do that in a mandatory, a strict place that wouldn't allow contact with the opposite sex. You know, it was, it was pretty strict in that one part in particular. So yeah, clean slate, you nailed it. it it's partly relating to what it means to wipe the slate clean when you're making a movie. You literally wipe it after every take. And if the take went great or terrible, you still erase it and write the next one on. But that's the only way to uh. put the pieces together and make a movie. And so fractioned little bits can all add up into something beautiful, kind of like a mo mosaic. And I see that in the way that the scenes of their life, for good or for bad, add up to be what it is. And they have to accept that in order to to shoot the next scene or live the next day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, sorry, Corey. That's uh, no, I just wanted to say that's a, a remarkable take for uh, somebody who hasn't experienced, you know, actually going to one of those centers or, or having a uh, a real struggle with drugs or alcohol. That's uh, unusually perceptive. So uh, kudos to you for for doing the work to uh, get to that <laughs> level of understanding. And yeah, I don't. There's a lot of people who are in it and mm -hmm. don't make it that far. So um, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, Jared, I, this isn't one of our planned questions, but I, I, your your answer there got me thinking back to the to the film, and it highlights his Cassidy is is working on 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 the fence, the the film that they're making, and he's talking about his his own what what movies mean to him, mm. and at the end of the day, he goes back to his home, and you know he's curled up, sort of semi prone or side lying on the couch, wrapped up in a blanket, and for me like that it, it it generated such a such a sort of visceral physiological response like a, almost a nausea in thinking and i nathan and i were talking about this we don't want to i don't ever want to be the person who tries to predict someone else's journey of of <laughs> recovery right but like you see him and you think oh like he's alone he's still isolated he's going through pain and you could just sort of see it coming and then shortly thereafter, he ends up relapsing. And the expectation or the the hope then can also be can, can hope without sort of the putting these pieces in place that are going to let you be constructive and proactive and and work towards something. It's dangerous. Yeah, it's it's way to notice that it's dynamic and it's multifaceted, right? Like you could focus on one thing all the time, and at one season for you, it might be the key thing to focus on. But as soon as you start ignoring other areas of your life, those will creep up and get you. Mm -hmm. So it's it, it's a it, it's a dynamic game. If that's you know, it's like it's like I'm always aware, and you're always moving, and I could see that. And as soon as you would, uh, Cassie could like lock and focus in on something. Movies with all of us, I mean, can provide a really safe place. And that scene, I love it. I love both that it happened that it was raining and we followed him into a, a DVD store mm -hmm. in Atlanta. They're so great. It's like one of the only DVD stores that still functions. It's independent. They're called Videodrome. They're so supportive. They're the best. They're excited for us to have copies of the movie so they can have it in the store. And they just let us follow him around and talk movies while filming him in the shop. And that was so cool. But then also when he was just on it, the one that gets me, he's on his couch, like you said, and he presses play and you just hear that like, the movie pre-roll, the famous ones that we can all yeah. do, you know, from memory. Mm -hmm. And he's alone and it's dark and it's raining and it's not good. But in that moment, he is good. And maybe, maybe lowercase G good. Mm -hmm. Like he's okay. Yeah. He's yeah. good. And that, that movies and stories provide being seen in different ways and escape and feeling like you have friends 
And I just think there really is something cathartic to that and in ways it can be really healthy. And then other ways it's escapism that leads you down paths that aren't, aren't healthy. So yeah. I saw, I've seen it, I've seen it be both in him. And then overall it ends up being his channel for hoping to tell his story and help people. If they could see my story, one of the cool things with Cassidy is there's a new app that they're sending films to. It's like Netflix for prison, right? It's like a closed loop for people who are incarcerated. Oh, and wow. he made a short film a couple weeks ago. And in a week, it had 250,000 views. Whoa. So he's really honing in on. He sends me scripts you know, weekly of things that he wants to make still. So it's still providing a channel for all the ups and the downs uh, of a place for people who need a good story or need to hear a story of hope or redemption. And that can be one piece of hopefully uh, a large team getting them healthy. So mm-hmm. that's, that's, if there's anything that Cassidy can do, that, that would be one of them. And he's doing it. So that's wow. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, it, it leads us into the next question as well. Um, you'd noted on, I think it's, it's online there on your, on clean slates uh, website, the goals of the film were to increase empathy for, for people who are going through these type, type of struggles and also to highlight how creative outlets can be a, like you said, either a cathartic or a mode of uh, getting through tough times. Uh, you've seen that with Cassidy. What kind of successes have you seen otherwise um, as far as the empathy is concerned? Have you seen people who've oh, watched man. the film and, and come back with their <laughs> eyes a little bit more open or how's that been working? Oh, yeah, man. We thought we, well, we, we came to the phrase of everybody knows someone in recovery or someone who should be. And sometimes it, it was them. And we thought that people in recovery would resonate, but that's just such a large pie that, you know, in America, 25 million people currently uh, are articulating uh, an addiction in their life. So that mm-hmm. that's not a small target. And then we realized, well, people who are creative and also on the road of recovery might resonate. And then what we've realized is we've shown it in some places, the people who resonate the most deeply with this movie are friends and family members of people who are lifetime on the road of recovery people. And I think what we're finding like one of the, we showed it at a, at a, at a non, non-recovery center, a 20, 20 test screeners. We fill out a thing. We did a, a questionnaire and afterwards someone came up and said, my brother has been uh, struggling with addiction for the last decade. We have not spoken to them. They've been cut out of our family. After watching Josh and Cassidy, I could say for the first time, I, I can see what's going on in his head. And I realized that I need to forgive my brother and yeah. I'm going to show the film awesome. to my parents because my parent, I think it can reconcile our family. Oh my God. And we just went, so you liked it? Like what, what, <laughs> what notes are there out of that? Like, but that's the stuff that's come out of it is this like incredible grace when you've been hurt. I see the hurt side. Mm-hmm. And when that is bottomless, when that Josh said one time, if I could rob from my grandma, I would. Right. So that is a bottomless addiction driving your behavior. And if that ends up leading you to a place where you need to seal off or harden or create space, I now understand how you could get there. But what I'm seeing is there is another side of that, whether it be time and or work and or health and or support for the person that's not you. But there is a place where after enabling ends, then people have come around to a place where they're ready to forgive and move back into relationship. And that has been what I was unexpected. I I did not realize how many of those stories would get shared. And the movie came out Friday. Like it is. This is not a this is brand new into the world, but just from testing the film it has uh really done what beyond what we had hoped it could do wow that is amazing i can't imagine how satisfying that must feel just to have that happen once i mean you're talking about bringing people together on a very important scale and uh yeah the timing couldn't be better for it this is a time of division in uh especially your country but our country as well and uh you don't want to see Oh, I see uh, divisions in family like that. It's uh, it's very difficult, and uh, and I just yeah, hat tip for that for sure. That's uh, it. incredible work. The team has been great, but also Josh and Cassidy being so honest, right? I mean, it is hard to to let a circle full of people in a meeting into your life. How do you do it with cameras, right? And how do you do it where we were oh, we were yeah. there with him when he, he was using, you know, like it was not mm-hmm. it was not a friendly to yourself time, but he trusted us, and I'm so grateful in the end that they've seen the film and. There are tough moments for both of them, but it ends up being something that they see a greater good in. Oh. And I'm, and I'm really thankful for that. You know? Yeah. 
could you imagine Corey, uh, somebody following you around with a camera in a treatment center like that? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. You know, and, and I think that I suspect that why it's resonated in that way with family members, you are, you act as a, as a very careful observer as the filmmaker of, of filming Cassidy and Josh, where there are moments where there's little small, you know, moments of aggression or moments of frustration um, or moments where they where you know, of self-sabotage or of just making a choice where you think oh, if, if it was your, your brother or your loved one, you'd want to like take them by the shoulders and say like, what are you doing? Take them. Stop <laughs> and, it. And Stop just as, it. The, as the filmmaker, you, you, you put us in the position to observe them like that. And where you, I mean, it's sort of a interesting metaphor might not be the right word, but you are, there's a, there's a parallel there between real life, art imitating life of being the observer of people who are making those choices and self-sabotaging and you can't reach through the, your TV screen to, mm. to shake them. <laughs> and yeah. maybe, I don't know, was that intentional or is that just sort of by virtue of the subject matter? Well, it kind of happened because I my presence there as a mentor had to happen in order for them to get to keep making the film based on Cassidy's behavior and and the the recovery center allowing him to come around again. Right. He was he was on his third strike there when we started filming. So mm -hmm. everything could be handled differently. I understand the way the, the center responded because they had 40 or 50 other guys that they were trying to help stay sober. And if someone is going to continue to relapse, you got to say, OK, then you don't. You can't be in our space in this time. So I understand that. But man, it yeah, it it, it was it was a lot. I think with filming, we decided one, we were never gonna do anything to risk their health. Like we knew that the possibility of relapse was always on the table, but we were never gonna show it in the film. And we decided that from the first day because we didn't want to ever aid in their voice to recover. I didn't need to help addiction have a louder voice in their head to convince them to do something for camera or something, right? Mm. So once they saw that we were never, we were gonna be with them, but we were gonna never do anything to aid their relapse or aid their drug usage, I think that set some ground rules. And I think then it was like, there was even trust in that, that we weren't, we were there for, not that it needed to end happy because when we showed it some places, it was like, well, if it's too happy, then it's fake. That's not recovery. Like there's a real fine line there at the end with how do you end hopeful, but real. I mean, we test screened that that thing. I think the version of the movie that was released was number 17 because in version 16, I added that title card that you referenced about Josh because it made it real. And if you don't have that information about what happens with Josh, then you could end by saying, oh, he's the rock. He was good enough. But as soon as you know what he really did, there are 11 places throughout the film that you now can see if you ever see it again, where you just go, he's telling you the whole time what's going to happen. Totally. And that, you know, oh, yeah. That's that's the addiction speaking. So once that made it more real and we realized that that how we could honor the reality, but also answer hope, then it was like, okay, we did it. We, we only made decisions to support their sobriety and their health. Mm -hmm. And we didn't conflate anything and we didn't do anything to Hollywoodize or make a better movie. And if we could do that, then we held up the most accurate mirror we could where they could see it and feel seen, but then other people could see it and feel like it was a, like you said, a, a glimpse into a world that many, many people wouldn't have access to, or would choose not to do it in the way that they're trying to do health. So, could you see during filming? I mean, you've probably seen, uh, you've probably filmed some scenes many, many, many times, but the times you're talking about where you know you mentioned looking back now, you, you can you can tell it's obvious that uh, trouble was coming. For me and Corey, it was. I mean, we could see it right away. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, did that come through for you uh, personally while you were doing it? Or was, was it something you didn't have enough kind of experience with the first time? Definitely didn't have enough uh, wherewithal or experience to know how much that was coming. Uh, okay. I, I was aware of the numbers in that center and aware of how often people were relapsing. Because there was people around them that were relapsing or not showing up to stuff. And I was like, oh, this is happening. Like, you can find it if you want it. Even as strict as they want to be there, you, you would find it. And I think that, oh, like you asked me coming into it. I think part of that was realizing in the edit and then on another film that we released just now about a friend who, who dies. And we're aware of his oncoming uh, untimely death. That I had to show up in the film because otherwise it's calloused. 
Like that would be the worst is if you're watching it as an audience and you don't feel like you have a safe way to be watching it, then it's no longer a laugh, cry, laugh film because you are, you are a voyeur. You are watching in a way that's not invited. But as soon as the camera person speaks or I have made myself known, I mean, clean sight, I'm in it, but I tried to cut myself out. But in the new one, sometimes I shake. Uh, I'm in it a lot. And it's a way that you could sit with someone that you didn't ever know, but you're going to spend an hour and a half with them to their death. And you have the freedom to laugh, cry, laugh with him. Mm. Um, and and I just think that access for me in these two films, I, I definitely won't do it in every film. I don't like doing it. Uh, filming at the end of Clean Slate was very difficult because I had written myself into real life had wrapped me into the role I was in. But right. for both of these films, for Clean Slate and for Sometimes I Shake, it was a necessity for the audience to feel safe. Huh. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting take too. And I yeah, I believe that's the correct one. But that'd be experience in filmmaking that would give you that insight. You can kind of feel it too. And in the edit of the, especially the, the newest one, those are both edited during, finished during COVID, is that project I, I wrapped 14 years ago, the filming. And every time I would try and edit, every six months I'd pick it up and try and edit and I would just cry and then put it down for six more months and wait. So until all our other filming got shut down and I had an editor who worked with me uh, here at the farm for all of COVID, we realized we probably wouldn't have done that right when my friend Dan passed. But give yourself 10 years and start editing again and you realize, oh, I need to be in it. And I think it made the uh -huh. film way better because I had the time to heal and grow and then have a little distance from it. You know, you, it's different if you put down the cameras yesterday versus give yourself well, a decade. You know? Yeah. With any creative process. Yeah. yeah. There's this moment where you, you a rare moment where, where you were in it and there were to be honest, there were times where I wish we saw a little bit more of you because <laughs> it, it added, it really added some interesting moments to the film. And there's this moment where Cassidy is, it's, you're just starting to, um, they're starting to work on On the Fence and Cassidy has to take on the role of being the director. And you come up to him and you say like, you are the director do here, do it, direct. And you're quite firm uh, with him. And yeah. what I imagine there is I can imagine all of Cassidy's uh, sort of self-doubt i can imagine I, I can relate to you know having thought processes that hold you back from speaking out from hold you that hold you back from being assertive and using your voice and sometimes you need someone to like kind of like give you a push there and say this is it do it and you do it sort of as almost like an older brother or a, a, a mentor there and uh it's a really subtly powerful moment in the in the movie because i just got exactly what was going through Cassidy's <laughs> head without you even saying yeah. it. And Cassidy doesn't say what's going through his head. He doesn't have to. It's written on his face. Yeah, yeah that was really Man. well done. Yeah, I'm glad you caught that. It was not easy for me to include in the movie. You know, like that's part of the hard part about becoming a character in your own film is you also have to be honest with yourself. And I'm not perfect. And I have flaws and things that I, I misstep. And I, my tone, I, I was not nice to him. But also, like you said, I, I didn't realize uh, the depth of his anxiety, I think, mm -hmm. while we were doing it. And he says it like, oh, you know, there's a lot of people here. I don't do good with crowds. But once we were there, he crumbled. Day one, he crumbled. And the fact that the rain gate kept giving him pauses to see that as a positive where he could like catch his breath for an hour and then try again. But he was getting steamrolled. And so if day two, really, if day two had happened like day one, you couldn't have put him as a co-director, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it, he, he wasn't doing it. And um, it took that moment, a couple other moments, and uh, where people just kind of gave it to him. And Josh was really, Josh took control. Like Josh saw what was going on. The whole group knew what was going on, not just with Cassidy, but with everybody. So it was kind of more of an all-hands-on-deck approach than other sets would be. And even the professionals in the Atlanta Film Society that I had hired to come join, that we had hired to the team, they knew, and they were helping. So they, mm -hmm. they were encouraging and, and educating and helping more than you would a non recovery center crew that you're helping make a film so the tone was good for him and he did it he stepped up day two i think we didn't talk to him i didn't talk to him night the night between day one and day two and he was really quiet and processing a lot but when day two happened and he needed to do it he did it and i think mm -hmm. that was for him was the real growth and i think also in creativity uh, you know you can make a film by yourself and at the end there's thousands of names right you watch a marvel movie and there's literally 12 minutes of thousands of names of people 
it's not, it's a it's the ultimate team project. And so I think that Cassidy figuring out like where else y'all supposed to want to be a director because it's sexy or whatever. But that's not maybe Cassidy. Maybe Cassidy is a uh, better as a writer, and and that serves his personality better, and he can still be a part of the team. But he's not in charge of standing up in front of like in that moment thirty people in a stressful scenario and taking control is not in his skill set. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, Josh seemed uh, more inclined yeah. towards that. Yeah, he could he could do it. And also, that's the team. There should be a first assistant director. Directors don't even need to do that. A first assistant director should be able to stand up and command an army and yell at 3,000 hobbits that are running around in New Zealand because that's their job, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's, not, that's not your job. And at a, at a project sometimes small, it's not that small is easier. It's that small is everybody's trying to do everything, and it, it makes it hard in a different way. So Yeah. So, Jared, we wanted to ask you about tough love this is something that we again that we've talked about on our show and that we have strong feelings about you know that um there is a in media and in like pop culture and pop psychology of of like that you that's what you do you take tough love with with the addict um you you give them the ultimatum and you in some cases you walk away and we want to sort of speak on on general terms about even up here in, in Canada or, or in the States, anywhere rehab facilities where if you, if you slip or if you relapse, you're out. And this can make for sort of a revolving door style of <laughs> right. uh, style where, where people are coming in and out and in and out every time they relapse, it can leave people isolated and leave them vulnerable. And given your educational background in divinity, I, I wonder how that sits with you. And given that you sort of, are a part of this communal living project where it is very much about connection and about keeping, you know, including individuals and keeping individuals connected. How does tough love sit with you as a, as sort of a model or as a style that has been adopted within the world of addiction treatment? Man, I I would always hope that love, love would, would trump tough love, but I now have just been in even Cassidy's life long enough to see how he, I think he sa- says in the film that he's realizing that he has bipolar and then has since been diagnosed. And there's a whole separate conversation about neurodivergent and neurotypical and how does he like who he is when he's medicated and not, right? That's a whole side of if you feel like you are being dampened and you are not who you are, that's tough. But noted, mm-hmm. Cassidy, the, the medicine that ends up helping him find stability the best is also one of the medications he's addicted to. So I see now how in even my relationship with Cassidy, how forgiving love that has allowed behavior to continue that was detrimental to himself wasn't loving. And it was, it felt nice or it was felt like love, or it was the same action that could be interpreted as love to someone not struggling with addiction. It'd be, it has been love my whole life until age 40 and then I'm doing it with Cassidy and he's still stealing from me and from this farm selling my camera equipment and buying drugs with it and that was three years after we finished filming so when that is my experience with being hospitable and helping him stay and giving a car and a place a rent and trying to get him jobs and like I we were doing it and, and then through that I realized oh that's overreaching I'm not a social worker like I can be a friend and we can provide a community to make things, but that's two prongs of probably eight or 10 that you need to find real health. So that's a lot to say. Love that you can love, love that that can be provided. And as the character Pete in their short film that they're making ends up trying to go high, low guilt, anger, and tries to go every way on a family that ends up saying for the first time, I will no longer be your enabler. And I think that's what I learned from Josh and Cassidy is that until they were allowed to hit their low, low, because their enablers were no longer going to bail them out through love, provided both sanity for their family and also the realization that I'm not going to get healthy for anybody else. They were very particular that the characters and what we were writing would never be trying to get sober for a family member. They just said, until it's for you, it will never happen. And you will find a way around it or you will dodge it and it will not be. It can't be for your kids, can't be for a spouse. They just kept cutting out all these side characters. And I realized, oh, like you, as Cassidy has, you might need to burn every bridge a couple times before you realize that who is going to do what to help you stand. So I'm sorry if that's not the easiest or a, a clear answer. That's like my personal has been like, I tried this 
and I've been burned by it and now burned by it multiple times and realized for the sanity of the other residents at the farm and my family, it was like, okay, well, you can no longer steal from me. And how do I still be a support in your web of health? Yeah, that is a, that is an honest uh, and understandable, uh, very understandable answer to that question. And uh, thank you for providing that and not trying to, you know, tell us what we want to hear or, you, you know, it, uh, appreciate that because me and Corey were talking about it before, uh, before this recording. And it's not a, I, like you said, love, love is, uh, is the, it, that's what we're aiming for all the time. But when it comes to addictive behavior, it's so nuanced and it's so individual to individual. I mean, it might not be, maybe drugs are one of Cassidy's problems and it could be one amongst many. And it, you know, if you look at, you look at his support system as it is, I mean, you got to take in socioeconomic factors. And by the time you get through everything, you, you think to yourself, man, how much hope would I have? If I <laughs> yeah. was, you know, oh, man. what you Cassie- know, you, Cassie is a victim. Cassie is a victim of the disease of, of addiction. And so when I could separate those things and not see the core of who he is as corrupted or evil or that, that he the same thing that drew him to me at the first coffee was that he was a pure, good hearted, trying to help bring love to the world and care about people. And if you can continue to believe that no matter what the results of the addiction has driven your behavior to do or be. And if you can still see separate, I think that's a huge gift. And I hope that that's what Clean Slate is able to do is it's not easy when it's your person, right? Like that, the person who came up to us at that test screening, if the movie had been about her brother, different emotional connections to your ability to take the story in. But when a story can offer you deep truths or capital T truth to your own story, but it comes through someone else's life that you didn't know an hour and a half ago, sometimes that's the way that that those deep, deep life-changing uh, things can do some work in you or on you uh, because you kind of got Trojan horse. <laughs> like, she, well, yeah. she didn't probably expect to get it the way she did. And, and it, and it, and it, it works if you allow it to do work on you. Yeah. yeah that uh, that's a manner of growth that I think is, is common in, in the world of addiction. Um, like you said that <laughs> it's a neat way of putting it, the Trojan horse, but uh, <laughs> yeah, sometimes that's going to be the only way for some people to get to a certain point And then, you know, something else will come along the line and everybody's at different uh, kind of spots of understanding, including myself, including Corey. I mean, you want to talk about a complicated subject. Uh, it's, it's tough to pin down the behavior of addiction, how it's can be so dependent on the person. Yeah. It's uh, I guess that's why it's fascinating. Fascinating to me anyway. Yeah. It's a, it's a tragically dynamic topic that is deserving of your life and commitment and like, and, and continuing to talk about in different ways, because that's the people that we've talked to that have been 20 years sober, just have different elements. Like it's, it's like they, I've, someone saw the film last weekend at the theater and was there for a Q and A and shared, and I could see their spouse, their partner nodding. And, and the way that I was listening, but I was watching someone loving someone who felt seen. And I, I just realized I, it changes over time and in every season something else uh might resonate with you but i think that's what's special about the human story is just that there are some that we tell over and over again in different ways Mm -hmm. and when they're told we can relate to them depending on what season we are currently in absolutely Mm -hmm. what a great Mm -hmm. statement yeah yeah Yeah, that's been very true for me and you as well Corey. i think sometimes you're just not ready for the message but yeah yeah. and you know as a parent, it, it also, the movie made me think about love with boundaries that with a, with a child in order to love them effectively and, and teach them and, and model good behavior and, and, you know, sort of guide them along, there have to be boundaries there. And if you right. don't uphold the boundaries with your child, you're going to have a child who, <laughs> who runs your home, a four-year-old who runs your home. Shit. And, <laughs> and but with with an adult who's experiencing addiction, who we, who you love, there are so many more complicated feelings at play, and those feelings can make you drop those boundaries, or at least, and that doesn't mean you stop loving them. But when the boundaries come down, are you still loving yourself effectively? Right. right. Like, and oh, and man. and in the film, Josh talks about how one of his great 
heartaches is that his his wife has moved on and he, yeah. he learns that you know she she's i can't remember if she's remarried or just repartnered but remarried, like yeah. remarried and and how much that hurts him found out on facebook that's how's that's that right. for modern right oh man and you kind of think well she's obviously done that she she set the boundary she moved on it was obviously raw for josh but that you also think well there's an individual who probably went through a lot of pain and a lot of getting her boundaries tread upon and disappointments and all that stuff. And um, you kind of, without even knowing the, her as a character, you, I, I kind of thought, well, she set that boundary and she sort of made the self-loving choice, but it's Holy smokes, complicated one. So bad. Uh, I can't imagine having someone that you, uh, as miracle as it would be that anybody would marry anybody uh, that you would allow someone into that circle of trust with you. And then, like he says, I just kept, she told me if I, if I didn't quit, she'd leave. And he just, the vicious cycle, as he describes it, is just do, couldn't stop. So that's what I see. Like you mentioned a toddler. And I just learned my wife sometimes forwards me like uh, Instagram parenting tips. Because you know, <laughs> when you're dealing with a toddler, you're just like, just want to freaking scream. But one of the ones that she said was really helpful was like, they, uh, my son only has one emotion at a time. There's not layered. There's not nuance. He, he, when he's on something, he's on it. And sometimes I just don't understand why the emotion is so what, whatever it be, right? Angry or scared or whatever it is. And I see that also in dealing with Josh and Cassidy, not in a pejorative way like, oh, you're a toddler. But in what addiction can do, there was nothing else happening. You're, you're using your same body. You're still dressed the same. You're using all the words you have. But you are doing one thing at this time. And I don't think I could see, I know I didn't see that in early relationship. And I don't think I could still see that. I'm not a trained therapist or doctor. I don't know all the tells. And I'm in a couple years of relationship with these guys. There's so much more to do. But I see it and what I'm learning as a parent is to just see my son and realize it's not, what he's doing is not who he is. And it's not a value statement. It's not a judgment on who you are. You are being controlled by one thing up front. And I will deal with that thing. And so, like you said, I think that the tough love or the boundaries and seeing that with Cassidy, I kind of talked to Cassidy that way by the end was like, that's yeah, not, not who I want to be, not how I want to act, but I will kindly talk to your diction in this moment because I'm not talking to you, the core of you. And that sometimes is the whole of an interaction and gets us to where maybe we get to have another and is more yeah. healthy. So, yeah, we have a term for that. We call it uh, front loaded thinking. Um, mm. And uh, there, there is science behind it. And basically what's happening is the same thing that's happening with your toddler, only on a, a little bit different scale. But it's, it's a, you're right to say that it's a one way of thinking okay. because that's exactly what's going on in the brain. When you, when you hone in on a behavior like that, it's like forming a habit times 100. And <laughs> your habit becomes a compulsion. It's not impossible for you not to do it, but you feel very motivated to do the behavior right. so it's a interesting comparison with your with your toddler and how they experience one emotion at a time i'm gonna to have to think on that for a little bit the one last thing i would add to that is thinking you know on a you know, on a personal level you wouldn't continue to repeat the same enabling mm -hmm. behavior or the same pattern of behavior with the individual who's treading on your boundaries or whatever right. it may be but what we do see is is with our system up here with our our addictions treatment systems probably in the states too where there's it seems to be like it's not it's clearly not working but we're just going to keep doing the same thing over and and where someone can end up in a facility a dozen times and I, my my sincere hope is that at some point the facility or the the system is saying we got to look at how we're doing this yeah. the the fact that i mean you're into politics and the way that people yeah. are out for their pockets and and power and not for health of our people the way that we've protected corporations that have done billions of dollars of intentional addiction and so like this has been really shitty for a really long time and there's not a lot of hope that it's gonna turn around quickly mm -hmm. so there are a group of people some opportunists and some doing some good work that are using a system that frankly they the prison industrial complex they're just full like that is getting offered to people in georgia when i was there because there are no more beds in prisons they would rather put them in prison for 10 years but because there's no beds they found places that they can plea out they can go do 18 months and have it erased and that mm -hmm. also wow. is insane then you get into employment 
and what you can do and how people can work for you. And it's kind of slave labor. It's not kind of, it is a, oh, yeah, a from slave labor. From, it, it, it is a modified treatment of slave labor mm. uh, in prison since slavery, slavery was abolished in the United States. Like it is not great. So we, you are you are, to say it's not great is an understatement, <laughs> and and it is not not great. So yes, I hope there and there are places I've seen in post relationship there and, and turning the film around. There are places that are doing more holistic uh, work. There are places that are partnering people with uh, psychiatrists and job training and like there's all these things that I could see were stacked against Cassidy in the film, like you said, economic status and there's all these things. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you couldn't get hired at Starbucks or Taco Bell or Chick-fil-A. Like, get out of here. You're six years from a DUI and you couldn't get hired to, to deliver pizzas in a car by yourself. Like, that was, yeah. that was outrageous. So there are some yeah. systematic things that need to change in order to provide people who are genuinely trying to get sober the best tools they have to get healthy. And it feels like in some ways people are squeaking through and doing good. <laughs> people are finding places to do good. People are proponents of other systems and ways of health and then there are some really big systems that are just not good and that i've got to do multiple years in one and to not have it be my life or training to be able to walk away and be like whoa okay some good a lot of not good thank goodness for anybody who's sober today and hopeful today and has a network today and is trying today and that you know that's my that's queen slate's pocket small pocket in the corner of the world of recovery right now it's like you need you need a you need to be seen today. Like maybe that's what it offers. You know. Yeah. Tell our listeners where they can find Clean Slate. You bet. Uh, the the film dot com has everything about the film, the short film that they made, the updates about the guys. The film dot com. Our foundation is peoplepeoplemedia dot com. Peoplepeoplemedia dot com, and that's got links to all our short films for free, and our now three feature films on there. But that's where we do everything, and then. Instagram, I'm Jared underscore Cal, and People People Media is on Instagram. So we try and filter everything through that that website and that Instagram so people can find what we make. Oh, that's great. Wonderful talking to you, man. Very appreciative of you taking the time to uh, chat with us, and uh, I'm glad we could make it work. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely let you know as soon as we uh, get this one uh, up on air. And yeah, keep doing what you're doing, man. Lots of great creative things down there. My pleasure. And thanks for, thanks for doing what you do and being uh, other, other corners, other pockets, providing help for people. I'm, I'm thankful that the movie exists and I hope people see it. That's why we did it. That's, that's why, that's why it exists. Right. So yeah. Thank you both so much. I appreciate your time. Okay. Thank you. Likewise. Likewise. All right, have, have a good one guys. Take care. See you soon. Bye.